We're in the seventh week of Isaiah. Seven weeks. And if you, if you made it for even just a moment of the first six weeks, what, what you heard was heavy on the judgment and kind of light on the hope. Right? Is this fair? Is this fair? Because that's, that's the way Isaiah has been arranged, is that there, there is hope in the midst of judgment, but it's pretty heavy on the judgment for the first two-thirds of it. First two-thirds of it. I mean, and, this, and, 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 and what we know for a fact is that, is that God's people, God's ancient people, had a problem. In fact, I would say it's a problem that had multiple levels. The first, the, the, the first external problem was they had a, uh, a warring military army, not just at their border, but really across the border. That's, that's what had happened. Uh, and so they had Assyrians that had encroached their, their borders, and they were in the midst of what, was, what, what would become massive devastation. This is the external problem. A hundred years later, it was the same over again with the Babylonians who overthrew the Assyrians and did the same thing to Judah and to Jerusalem, the capital, and even Israel, the, the farther parts. This is the external problem. The internal problem, the internal problem is they knew, God's people knew, It was their fault. It was their fault. What what God had set in place with their their forefathers and foremothers was that if they would but trust him, he would take care of them. And they had stopped trusting him. And so that's, that's, that's where the external problems came from. All of that out there is tied to this in here, right? All of that out there is tied to this in here. Which, which brings us to this question. How similar are our lives today that, that external problems are every time related to our internal struggles. Because because what we know is that choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. We we find ourselves struggling to, to, to ask, how can we stay on the path? How can we get back on the path and stay on it after we've deviated so far from it? So judgment, hope, but then, but then God in little, in little parts and little pieces began to explain that, that there is a plan for putting it all back together. In fact, we, in fact, we turned the corner last week with that. God says, I know you've suffered loss. I know you've been separated. I know you've been scattered, not just as a people, but as families. I know you've been scattered, but there is a plan to put it all back together. In fact, it's even cosmic in nature. What he, what he said was, he said, your dead will live again and your tears will be wiped away and your mourning will cease. He, he doesn't give a timeline, but he says it'll happen. We, uh, we, we, we hear an, uh, an echo of this in, uh, 
in Isaiah 40. Just, just two verses of this. This is, this is in fact, in fact the, the doctors of the church and the scholars that have been reading Isaiah for so long actually call this uh, like second Isaiah. If you've been in a Bible study, you've heard, you've heard that, or a Sunday school class, you might have heard second Isaiah. It's still, it's still the same book, but it takes such a substantial turn, they wonder if, if it actually could have been written by the same person. But this is what it says. After 39 chapters of tough news, it says... Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak compassionately to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that complain to her proclaim to her that her compulsory service has ended, that her penalty has been paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This this is it. Speak tenderly because because the bad times have ceased. Speak tenderly because the debt has been paid. Speak tenderly because what's happened in the past is in the past. And that, and that while God's aware of it, he doesn't fixate on it. And that the future turns for the good. This this is the turn that's happening in Isaiah, but it's also the turn that's happening in our stories. See, as as Christians, we, we know that it's about faith and trust. We know it's about faith and trust. And we know that God has plans for for our futures, but but so often we fixate on our past. That we don't, ever, we don't ever make the turn. We know it's there, but we miss it because, because we're looking in the rearview mirror. I mean, this is, this is my story. And, and we'll hear good news and we'll experience joy, but it doesn't stick. Have you ever experienced that before? Have you ever noticed this before? I read something this week. I was getting ready for a uh, a group, uh, this 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 group uh, of, of preachers that I get together with, and we um, we go through spiritual direction together. And we've been reading a book, and in the midst of the book, this is actually let me explain this for the kids. Um, this is where they take words and they print it on paper, um, <clears throat> and you read from paper. And I wasn't scrolling, and I wasn't swiping, and I wasn't. It was on, It was in a book, right? I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Uh, so I'm reading this book. It's written by this Catholic priest, and he says something in there. Let me, uh, let me make, make sure I don't mess it up. This is what he says. It's stuck with me, and I think it's going to stick with me past just this week. It says, the way we are wired. Who built us? God built us. The way we are wired, this is from science, means that joy and happiness take a minimum of 15 seconds to imprint on our neurons. And so I'm reading this book and I begin to apply it to my life and I'm like, well, that's, that's interesting because, because I'm not sure I do that well all the time. We do this thing on Tuesdays in staff meeting. We, uh, we, we meet here in the conference room and, uh, and at the end of staff meeting when we've been looking ahead, we, we, we pause and we look back and we, um, 
we, we, we actually evaluate our worship services every Tuesday from what happened on Sunday. Not just the worship, but the whole experience. From, from you, know, you know, the buildings and the, and the processes and all that kind of stuff. And we ask four simple questions. We ask, what was right about Sunday? What was wrong? What was missing? And what was confusing? The tri- those are good questions, by the way. Those are good. Those, yes, because it always leads in, in the wrong with um, Scott talk too long. <clears throat> But the, but the thing is that, that, that I'm, I'm hearing this word about needing 15 seconds to imprint on my brain and I realize that we go through the what was right too quickly. We, we do this. It's like, hey, that was a really good day. Let's talk about all the things that were bad, right? Hey, man, I mean, we, we had a baptism on Sunday. Man, oh, yeah, that's great. Let's, but let's talk about all the things that didn't go right, Hey, hey, people showed up. That's great. Yeah, but let's talk about all the things that... We, we do that. We, 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 we just gloss over the good and get to the bad. But this is saying that if we don't let it sit with us for 15 seconds or more, then it doesn't stick. And all we're left with is, yeah... See, Isaiah gets this. After 39 chapters of judgment and truth-telling, my, my people have not trusted me. After 39 chapters of this, it turns. And, 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 and for the last 12 chapters of the book, from 55 to 66, it is just a steady diet of joy and happiness, and restoration, and good news over and over and over again. I invite you to hear from Isaiah this message of good news over and over again. If you would turn in your Bibles with me, our our primary reading for today actually comes from Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Some of these words are going to be familiar to you. It says, The Lord God's Spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. Because, because God's, God's plan for the future is to replace the past with something better. They will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify himself. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted deserted places. They will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. Foreigners will say, and shep, excuse me, foreigners will stay and shepherd your sheep and strangers will be your farmers and vine dressers. You will be called the priest of the Lord. Ministers of our God, they will say about you. 
You will feed on the wealth of nations and fatten yourself on their riches. Instead of shame, their portion will be double. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. They will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be yours, theirs, together. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and dishonesty. I will faithfully give them their wage and make with them an enduring covenant. Their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are a people blessed by the Lord. I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful because of my God, because he has clothed me with clothes of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness like a bridegroom in a priestly crown and like a bride adorned in jewelry. As the earth puts out its growth and as a garden grows its seeds, So the Lord will grow righteousness and praise before all the nations. This is the word of God for we the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. You you recognize much of these early words because, because Luke took and adapted them. I mean, you, 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 there's no greater authority for how the scripture is to be understood for our lives than that of Jesus Christ himself. This is how, Luke's, this is how Luke uses it. After, after, after talking about genealogies and angels and predictions and babies, a couple of them, John the Baptist and Jesus, after talking about the baptism and the dedication, after, after, after talking about the temptation, after all of this preamble kind of activities, when Luke's gospel finally kicks it into high gear, Jesus is standing in a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And it says the scroll is given to him and he, and he flips it over and he finds his way of all places in their Bible to Isaiah 61. And what he offers next is, is, like this, uh, is, is like this inaugural address. It's, it's almost like a press statement. It's almost like a press release about, about, about where this thing is going. This is what it sounds like. The past has been terrible. Your past has been terrible because choices have consequences. But I tell you what, God has turned the corner. And good news is being imprinted in all of our minds and our hearts if we'll let it, if we'll stick with it long enough. And this is what it sounds like. Good news to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming proclaiming release for the captives and liberation for prisoners. This, this is the word that Jesus says. Because God has a plan to grow us in trust of him. If we'll shake off the past and turn the corner to our future. But here's the thing. It's it's not enough to say the words and not do the work. It's, It's not enough to gather for a week 
and say, I, I got what I need. See, because God's actual plan for trusting him isn't any more clear than in the topic of money and finances. I'm not going to talk about your lives. I'm going to talk about my life for a second. Is that okay? Which is exactly what you want to hear when I bring up the topic of money and finances. Nobody wants the preacher to talk about their stuff. See, here's the thing. My past and my choices... I mean, they, 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 they so often, they weren't about trusting God. They were instead about my hard-headedness. They were about my selfish desires. They, they were about, I mean, if we want to get to the truth, my external troubles when it came to money and finances, they were, they were caused by internal fears, But the thing is, God's plan is better than fear. God's plan says, if you'll trust me with your first 10%, if you'll trust me with your first 10%, I'll take care of the rest. It says this, it says this in uh, Malachi. <clears throat> That's what the kids call it. It's the last book before you get, there it is, last book before you get to the New Testament. Malachi, chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. Listen to the turn. Two verses in, it makes a turn. He says this, should a person deceive God? Yet you deceive me. But you say, how have we deceived you? With your tenth part gifts and offerings, this is the English version of a tithe. You are being cursed with a curse, and you, the entire nation, are robbing me. Stop right there. Stop right there. See, this is the past. This is what we've done. This is how we have not trusted God. God has given us a plan, and we haven't followed it. But then, he, but then, but then all of that's gone when you turn the corner. It says... Bring the whole tenth part. This is the future. Bring the whole tenth part to the storage house so there might be food in my house. Please test me in this, says the Lord of heavenly forces. See whether I do not open all the windows of the heavens for you and empty out a blessing until there is enough. This, this would have been written to farmers. Farmers who say, look, look, I've got land and I've got seed, but I can't control this part. And he's like, if you'll trust me with your harvest, the first 10% of your harvest, if you'll trust me with that, I'll make it rain and take care of the rest. It, it, it doesn't matter how poorly we've acted and chosen in the past. God turns the corner for us if we'll allow him. See, money and finances, when the preacher says them, money and finances and your bank account and, and your income and your direct deposit and your savings and your 401k, they shouldn't cause you to bristle like you are right now when I talk, talk about them. They should, be, they should be things that we should talk about with joy and not shame. But, but, 
But, but, but the shame comes from the fact that we haven't trusted God. Because our external problems, they have internal origins. I wrote, I wrote a week ago, uh, and many of you read it, that, that God's plan is clear. It's a, it's a plan that makes us it makes us, it leads us out of defeat and into victory. 